We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. It is a big idea, a new world order, a world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. So that the problem of the Bush presidency will be the emergence of a new international order. Within the next four years, we will see the emergence of a new international the order. The beginning of a new international order. The pieces are in flux. Soon they will settle again. Before they do, let us reorder this world around us. I think its task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't such a crisis. It's about the future of Europe and a new world order. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of the, of the world. But today, with Asia already outproducing Europe, India and China are clearly becoming part of our new order. We are now facing a common challenge. And the challenge is how to build a world order for the first time in history on a global basis. So in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, a new world is emerging. It is a new world order with significantly different and radically new challenges. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. And the president outlined his vision of a new world order in which the U.S. would participate fully. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, a world order that I think all of us would like to see. So I see a world order in the future with a multipolar world order. I think a new world order is emerging and with it the foundations of a new and progressive era of international cooperation. But in a globalized economy, we are going to have to take global responsibilities and there going to, is going to have to be some semblance of global governance. Never before has a new world order had to be assembled from so many different perceptions or on so global a scale. Nor has any previous order had to combine the attributes of the historic balance of power system with global democratic opinion and the exploding technology of the contemporary period. And I strongly believe India will be a central actor in the new world order. There also exists an extraordinary opportunity to form for the first time in history a truly global society. A few moments later. It's a very pertinent question to ask how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic.
Joe Biden calls it Build Back Better. Build Back Better. Building Back Better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. It's my plan to build back better. Uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education and mental health and start to, to build back in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called The Great Reset. An unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build back better. Building back better our economy. Build back better. All elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. It's a big effort to, some would say, to build back, back better. We would say to really have a great reset. Conspiracy, conspiracy. Conspiracy. Well, hello there, fam, and welcome to this fourth edition of Connect Those Dots. I'm your host, Joe, and on this little podcast, we take some of the pressing topics that are going on in the world, and each episode, we sort of isolate one of those pressing topics, and we take a a deep dive into it. On the first episode, I gave you a little glimpse into of who the people are that are the uh, sort of architects, the blueprinters, the seed planters of these crazy things that we've been seeing since the COVID era. And then in the second episode, we talked about puppet politicians and how they enact and execute the will of their masters. And then in uh, the last episode, we talked about the puppet celebrities and how they hold much more weight than the puppet politicians. And they really set the trends and really set the culture and really ingrain it into the minds of the masses. So we connected a lot of dots already, but we're going to take a little trip back in time on this episode and talk about where these things like the Great Reset, where these things like the World Economic Forum where all these things sort of originated and how they've blossomed into the horrible, disgusting plant of corruption that has now uh, impacted all of our lives very much in the COVID era. I started off this episode with a compilation, as I do. Every episode, I like to reel you in. I like to set the tone with a, a nice compilation just to Get you ready, brace yourself, give you a little appetizer, grease the wheels, if you will, for the subject matter that we're going to be covering in the podcast. I started it off with um, politicians from way back, as far back as 60 years ago, 
with people like Herbert Walker Bush and Henry Kissinger, all the way up to the 90s and the 2000s with people like John Kerry and Barack Obama, all saying the same things, all saying and using the terminology New World Order. See, like, they want to tell you that you're a conspiracy theorist if you want to talk about the New World Order, but it's an open discussion. It's an open term that's readily used by all these people that have these goals in mind. They call it the New World Order, okay? And then we juxtapose it with what we're seeing in the COVID era where they sort of rebranded the New World Order. They rebranded it and gave it a spiffy, trendy, very clownish, kind of cringy new name with build back better, build back better, build back better. And then you see everybody talking about build back better from Justin Trudeau to obviously our majestic and well-respected president here in the United States, Mr. Joe Biden, to Boris Johnson in the UK, to all those Australian crazies that I showed you in episode two, to Bill Gates. And then we go to the man himself, Klaus Schwab, and he has another, there's another brand. See, see there's, there's another brand for the New World Order Build Back Better, and it's called The Great Reset as well. And I like how Klaus Schwab just sort of tells you straight up. He's like, some people like to say Build Back Better, but I prefer The Great Reset. <laughs> see, Great Reset is a little more uh, impactful than Build Back Better. You know, Build Back Better is very sort of uh, sugar-coated. But Great Reset, that sounds intense. That sounds pretty epic. And Klaus tells you straight up, we're, we're resetting this stuff. So I know I talk about that person a lot, Klaus Schwab. And maybe you've never heard of him since you started listening to this show. But he is important. I want you to imagine these sort of Great Reset, Build Back Better, World Economic Forum people as a mafia. Imagine it as a mafia. Imagine it as the Sopranos or the Corleone family. And imagine Klaus Schwab is the Don. He's the head of the mob. He's the, he's, he's the Don. He's the Tony Soprano. He's the, he's the Vito Corleone. He's the godfather. Okay? Klaus Schwab is the godfather and everybody else are capos or consiglieris. But Schwab is really the Don. And there might be some people above Schwab, but we just don't know their names. But Schwab is the face of it. He is the leader. He gives the marching orders and everybody else follows. So just a little background into him and who he is. He is the founder and the chairman of the World Economic Forum. And what is the World Economic Forum? So it is a non-governmental organization or an NGO, as they call it, which is a think tank that meets every January with all sorts of different powerful people from banking to tech to geopolitical influence to education to criminal justice, just about every single branch or unit or sect of sort of power and influence they're recruited by the World Economic Forum. And what they do at these meetings is they discuss different strategies to, quote, improve the state of the world. 
Now that is the type of rhetoric that they use. That's how they disarm you. They say all these nice fluffy things about how they want to help you. But you have to imagine that that is a mask that is worn by them to not frighten you into their real agenda, to not tip you off into what the true intentions are of the Great Reset agenda. And to fully understand what that agenda is, you're going to have to really come to grips with some some dark truths that might not sit well with you. But, you know, the, the truth hurts. And, you know, that old cliche of you can't handle the truth, a lot of people cannot handle the truth. That's why it's so easy to avoid the truth. That's why it's so easy to stay in your own little bubble. That's why it's so easy to not care about these things. To just dismiss it to call it a conspiracy theory, to call it a misinformation, to call it crazy talk. And that just helps. That just helps the agenda move forward because whenever anybody wants to talk about it, it's just dismissed as, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, that's that's Alex Jones territory. It's pretty funny that ever since the COVID era, they've been talking about, this is Alex Jones stuff, Alex Jones. That name has been said so much now because like we are in that universe. We're in that territory now. We're swimming in those crazy waters now. And you will drown in those waters if you don't have the proper information, the true insight to be your flotation device, so to speak. Now, before I scare you and before I ruin your day, I just want to play you a clip of the Mafia Don himself bragging about how he's infiltrated all these governments and how all of these people that work in government are under his sort of tutelage and under his instruction because he has a school at his World Economic Forum that's called the Young Global Leaders Initiative, the Young Global Leaders Program. So here's Klaus, the Mafia Don himself, bragging to you about how all of these people are just extensions of his philosophy. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But... um, What we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of of, uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic forum. So that was from 2017. We're five years after that now. Think about how much more it's grown. He's talking about Macron in France. He's talking about Trudeau in Canada. He's talking about Putin in Russia. He's talking about Merkel in Germany. And it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with politics. Jeff Bezos is a graduate of the Young Global Leaders Movement. Um, 
Bill Gates also is a young global leader. I don't know how young Bill Gates is anymore, but he's he's a he's a graduate of the young global leaders. Okay, so they're all part of the same initiative. They all are studied and are trained under this philosophy, under this doctrine. And you know what else he says there? He doesn't just say that the primary people like the presidents and the prime ministers are young. He says they're cabinets too. So it's not just, so it, it's a it's a it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid of all World Economic Forum influenced individuals that are running these operations that are running these political offices in these countries. I mean, and that's him. That's the Don himself. That's him bragging right there. They have infiltrated all of their cabinets. They are all young global leaders. All he's missing is a, he just needs the cat on his lap to pet as he's saying all this crazy stuff. Because he truly is the archetype of like a James Bond villain. It's really, it's just, it's unbelievable how this guy really exists in the real world. And all of it, everything you see from Build Back Better to Great Reset to Fourth Industrial Revolution to New World Order to Agenda 2030 to all of it. It's all under this umbrella of the World Economic Forum. It's a, it's a true umbrella corporation. So what is the end game here? What is the goal of all these crazy things? What, what is the plant that is going to sprout out of this seed now through this COVID era, through this COVID tyranny, through this medical, technological new world that we're ushering into? Well, I think you already know. If you've listened to my first episode and you heard all of those clips that I played of Schwab and Gates and the Pfizer CEO... I think you can sort of connect these dots now. When Gates talks about population control and how there's too many people in the world and how if we do really good with vaccines, we can get the carbon footprint down. And when Schwab talks about the fourth industrial revolution is not about changing industry, it's about changing you. It's about changing what it means to be human. I think we can sort of see where this is leading. When he talks about gene editing, when he talks about new genetic technologies, and then when Bill Gates talks about his vaccines. I mean, I think we can connect these dots here. I don't want to have to spell it out for you, but this is a population control operation. This is a medical experimental testing operation on a global scale worldwide. This is a psychological, behavioral psychology experiment worldwide. And I know I'm covering a lot of ground here, so I want to just focus a little bit and talk about the psychological aspect of it. If you're not familiar with the Milgram experiment, well, it was an experiment where participants were sent into a room with a person in a white lab coat that was told to be a doctor or in a position of authority. And they were in a room with this doctor 
And in the room across from them, they were told that there was a patient in there that was hooked up to some kind of electroshock therapy type of device. So as the participant was sitting there with the the doctor, the perceived doctor that they thought was a doctor, the doctor tells them to press the button to administer the electroshock. And what they found out is that most participants would do it. So they're sitting there doing as they're told, pressing the button, administering that electroshock to the patient in the other room. But what they didn't know is that the patient really wasn't being shocked. They were just acting like they were being shocked. But the participant that was thinking that they were shocking the person continued to do it, continued to do it. And what they realized through this Milgram experiment is that the average individual will do something heinous to the fellow man, the fellow human, if they're told to do it by a person that they perceive as an authority figure. So what we're going through right now is a worldwide Milgram experiment type tactic where the masses on large are being told by authority figures, whether it be the talking head on TV, whether it be the puppet celebrity that tells them what to do, whether it be the puppet politician that tells them what to do. All of these people in a perceived position of authority telling the masses on large what to do and how to live their life. And even if it hurts their fellow man and telling them to hurt their fellow man. Now you see people that have taken this injection are resentful of the people who have not taken the injection. So they're ready to turn on their fellow man here. So that's just a little nugget of where the behavioral psychology comes into play. Because without controlling the behaviors and the perceptions of the masses, then you can't usher in these actual steps and these actual goals that need to be enacted. I make the metaphor all the time about planting the seed. You need to have the fertile soil first before the seed that you plant can grow into the plant that you want it to. So this fertile soil is the distorted perceptions of the masses on large. And this is not the first time that they've done this to the masses as a whole. I want to play you a clip right now. Well, it's more than just a clip. It's sort of like a video kind of expose, supercut of the swine flu scare of 1976. So we're talking almost 50 years ago. Okay, this is this happened 50 years ago. I want to play this for you and I'm going to pause it in between and I want you to connect some dots here. I want you to see if you hear anything that sounds a little familiar, a little deja vu. Remember the swine flu scare of 1976? That was the year the U.S. government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. I don't need another flu shot. I had a flu shot last year. A swine flu epidemic may be coming. Swine flu? Man, I'm too fast to let it catch me. You'll want to be protected, especially if you're elderly or chronically ill. Get a shot of protection, the swine flu shot. Right there. Did you hear anything familiar? No, that was not 2020. That was 1976 already scaring you. Get a shot of protection. 
There will be a pandemic already scaring you, using fear to control your perceptions and ultimately control your behavior. Let's go on with this piece. Well, 46 million of us obediently took the shot. And now 4,000 Americans are claiming damages from Uncle Sam amounting to three and a half billion dollars because of what happened when they took that shot. By far the greatest number of the claims, two-thirds of them, are for neurological damage or even death. This virus was the cause of a pandemic in 1918 and 1919 that resulted in over half a million deaths in the United States, as well as 20 million deaths around the world. See how easy it is to Thus, the U.S. government's publicity machine was cranked into action to urge all America to protect itself against the swine flu menace. Influenza is serious business. During major flu epidemics, millions of people are sick and thousands die. Well, this year you can get protection. The vaccines are safe, easy to take, and they can protect you against flu. So roll up your sleeve. Protect yourself. Roll up your sleeve and protect yourself. So no proof that this flu is, they just tell you it's going to kill you. Be afraid, be afraid, take our shot. Again, are we experiencing some deja vu here? One of those who did roll up her sleeve was Judy Roberts. She was perfectly healthy, an active woman, when in November of 1976, she took her shot. Two weeks later, she says, she began to feel a numbness starting up her legs. By the following week, I was totally paralyzed. So completely paralyzed, in fact, that they had to operate on her to enable her to breathe. And for six months, Judy Roberts was a quadriplegic. The diagnosis? A neurological disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome. This disease can even kill. Indeed, there are 300 claims now pending from the families of GBS victims who died, allegedly as a result of the swine flu shot. Now, Guillain-Barre syndrome, where have we heard that? And if you haven't heard that, if you haven't kept your ear to the ground with some of these reports of, of injection adverse reactions, Guillain-Barre syndrome, is one of the most common. Let's go on. Judy, why did you take the flu shot? I'd never taken any other flu shots, but I felt like this was going to be a major epidemic. And the only way to prevent a major epidemic of a, a really deadly variety of flu was for everybody to be immunized. Now, why does she think that? Because she was told it, and she was forced to believe it. Again. Are we experiencing any kind of deja vu here? Please, please, I hope you're connecting some dots. As part of informing Americans about the swine flu threat, Dr. Sensor's CDC also helped create the advertising to get the public to take the shot. There's only one thing I can think of that hits harder than us. What can that be? The swine flu. It could knock you flat. So what's the defense for it, huh? Like our philosophy. You gotta hit it before it hits you. You mean the shot? Yeah. You got yours? You better believe it. If swine flu wants to challenge me, I'm ready. Oh, me too, brother. Me too. Get the swine flu shot. Time is running out. So right there, I mean, that, 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 that part is so poignant. I love that part right there. They get uh, two Pittsburgh Steeler players to sell it to you. And that just goes back into last episodes where they get the, the public figures, the celebrities, the athletes to, to get you on board with this. Maybe you're weary about participating in it. But then your favorite public figure tells you to do it. And now all of a sudden, you change your tune. 
And then, of course, at the end, they have time is running out. So they want to create the sense of urgency to get you to get it as soon as you possibly can. The swine flu vaccine has been taken by many important persons. Hero. Example, President Ford, Henry Kissinger, Elton John, Muhammad Ali, Mary Tyler Moore, Rudolph Nureyev, Walter Cronkite, Ralph Nader, Edward Kennedy, etc., etc. Did you talk to these people beforehand to find out if they planned to take the shot? I did not know. Did anybody? I do not know. Did you get permission to use their names in your campaign? I do not know. Mary, did you take a swine flu shot? No, I did not. Did you give them permission to use your name saying that you had or were going to? Absolutely not. Never did. Did you ask your own doctor about taking the swine flu shot? Yes, and at the time he thought it might be a good idea. Um, but I resisted it because I was leery of having the symptoms that sometimes go with that kind of inoculation. So right there, that was Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, who was a big actress back in those times. And she flat out says, no, they literally used my name to say that I took the shot when I didn't. And I love her response. She's, I, she said, I talked to my doctor. He said he suggested it, but I refused because I was weary with the certain side effects that might accompany that kind of inoculation. What a beautifully eloquent way of explaining why you don't want to participate in some sort of medical procedure that you do not want to participate in. But that's not enough today. That's not enough today. Today, it's a, it's a whole different thing. Today, Mary Tyler Moore would have been called a conspiracy theorist, an anti-science bigot. They would have said that she's racist or whatever the hell they say to you now. A man with my government because they knew the facts, but they didn't release those facts because they, if they had released them, the people wouldn't have taken them. And they can come out tomorrow and tell me there's going to be an epidemic and they can drop off like flies to Mexico. I will not take another shot that my government tells me to take. Meantime, Judy Roberts and some 4,000 others like her are still waiting for their day in court. What a beautiful parallel to what we're going through now. Almost 50 years ago, the exact same fire drill, the exact same beta test that we're experiencing now. I hope you connected some dots. I hope you saw some parallels right there because that's as flat out as it gets. That's one of the most eye-opening news packages that you could show to somebody. I found that off band.video, by the way. So if you want to find it for yourself, you just go on band.video and just search swine flu. Now, moving on from the sort of behavioral psychology aspect of it. After the perceptions and the behaviors of the masses have been manipulated, that facilitates this New World Order, Great Reset, Build Back Better agenda to get on with its goals. One of its goals being eugenics. And that's a word that is not brought up often enough anymore because it was rebranded, okay? Eugenics, if you don't know what eugenics is, it's about creating quote-unquote super people and eliminating the quote-unquote bad gene pools, okay? That's what eugenics is. That's what Margaret Sanger talked about. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood. So uh, don't take it from me, okay? Uh, you can go yourself right now on Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever you prefer, 
go on there and type in Margaret Sanger eugenics quotes or Margaret Sanger human weeds quote. I'm not going to say it on here because I don't want my voice to be isolated saying such heinous things, but go look it up for yourself and look what Margaret Sanger thinks about certain demographics, okay? And you know who um, who was heavily influenced by Margaret Sanger? Uh, a little person that you might never have heard of, uh, just called Adolf Hitler. So this is who these people are. This is where they stem from. These are the origins of these people, okay? These are the roots. These are the corrupted rotten roots that are growing into the corruption plant that we are getting the debris and the leaves and the disgusting filth and the twigs rained upon us right now. But uh, that, that's, that's just a little fun fact right there about eugenics. I don't know how fun of a topic eugenics really is, but that's just a little fun fact. But and I'll stop digressing now and get back to biz. Um, The term eugenics was founded by a man named Francis Galton, and he was the cousin of Charles Darwin. And we all know who Charles Darwin is, survival of the fittest, Darwinism, evolution, the theory of evolution that we can talk about endlessly here. But I want to crystallize this in your mind that these are the people, okay? These are the people. Charles Darwin, that is pushed as this great philosopher, this great intellectual mind, he was a eugenicist that believed in getting rid of certain bloodlines, that believed only through survival of the fittest that the human race can actually reach its potential, okay? That's what these people believed. And when you think about that, when you think about that Darwinist type of philosophy, and then you connect it to the dot of Klaus Schwab's philosophy of changing what it means to be human, okay, that's a pretty easy dot to connect. So what used to be the sort of eugenics philosophy has transformed, if you will, into something called transhumanism, okay? And If you don't believe me, you can look it up for yourself. Just Google transhumanism and you'll, you'll, you don't even need to duck, duck, go it. They just tell you on Google, like transhumanism is, it's real. And it's like, it's really taken off and people are really into it. And these people, these controllers, these world economic forum people, okay. That I told you about before, whether it's banking, whether it's education, whether it's medicine, whether it's tech, they're into this stuff. This is, this is how they see, they think it's the right trajectory for the human race to quote-unquote evolve under that sort of Darwinist philosophy. So after all that prelude, what transhumanism basically is, is merging the human biology with technology, basically. What you see in science fiction movies, what you see in futuristic things where people become cyborgs, okay, and have their minds hooked up to data and artificial intelligence, okay, it's, it's, it's not just a science fiction uh, wish. It's something that's really being pursued, Okay, it's something that's really being pursued, and the people that are pursuing it are highly funded, 
highly influential, and it's really moving along, quite frankly. Okay, it's moving along far rapidly than we even know. So anybody that wants to call you, again, like I talked about before, anybody that wants to call you names when you bring up these sort of topics, they're just, the truth just hurts them and they're just not ready to have these discussions, okay? They're not adult enough to face the real reality of the situation. And I know we're, we're, we're connecting a lot of dots here, but I, I hope you're sticking with me. Because we need to start having these grown-up conversations, okay? Things like transhumanism, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, especially in, in like later podcasts, it's something that we need to have true discussions about. It it's, can't be something that's just operating and growing underneath everybody's nose as they're concerned and distracted with, uh, you know, viruses and celebrities and ball games and social media, and all these things, while real scientific revolutions are occurring, okay? This is something that needs to be discussed by the public at large if we're really going to have considerations about transforming the human race into a transhumanist society, okay? Because this is the, these are the real plans here. These are the real plans here. This is what people talk about. You, I played you the Schwab clips. This is how they're easing it in. And we can go into further discussions about transhumanism on later podcasts. But just for now, I'm going to play you this clip from 60 Minutes, okay? This is 60 Minutes. This isn't some, like, fringe media corporation. This is as mainstream as it gets, okay? This is 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper, okay? So this isn't misinformation, this is, this is a trusted news source, okay? 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. He has Dr. Yuval Noah Harari. Listen to Dr. Harari talk about the future of the human race. And by the way, Dr. Harari goes to the World Economic Forum Great Reset meetings as well. So here he is on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. Re-engineer our bodies and brains, whether it is with genetic engineering or by directly connecting brains to computers, or by creating completely non-organic entities, artificial intelligence, which is not based at all on the organic body and the organic brain. And these technologies are developing at breakneck speed. Maybe the biggest thing that we are facing is really a kind of evolutionary divergence. Consciousness is the ability to feel things like pain and pleasure and uh, love no, that's and hate. Not. Intelligence is the ability to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But computers or artificial intelligence, they don't have consciousness. They just have intelligence. They solve problems in a completely different way than us. They will be able to solve more and more problems better than us without having any consciousness, any feelings. And they will have power over us? They are already gaining power over us. Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. Do you hear that? Do you hear how they tie the pandemic to the transhumanism? Did you connect that dot? I hope you did. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. To hack a human being is to get to know that person better than they know themselves. 
and based on that to increasingly manipulate you. Certainly now we are at a point when we need global cooperation. You cannot regulate the explosive power of artificial intelligence on a national level. There it is. Now we need global cooperation. You know why? He just said it. Because the hackers are going to hack into your body. So to prevent the hackers from hacking into your body, we need to have a global corporation that hacks into your body and knows all your information and protects you from be it's just all mafia it's all mafia extortion it's, it's all just the mafioso going into your store and telling you you need protection and then you say from who and then they start destroying your store now you need protection from people hacking your inner thoughts so we need to protect you from people hacking into do you see how it just progresses and snowballs so here's this guy you've never seen before that Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes tells you as a doctor, okay, and tells you that he's an authority figure and that you should respect him and go along with whatever he says, just like the Milgram experiment. Here he is convincing you that we need to all become transhumanist and have an AI global consortium watch over us to protect us from people trying to hack us. And this coincides perfectly with what Klaus was talking about in that clip that I played in my first episode where he talks about what the fourth industrial revolution is and how it changes you as a person. Here, I'm, just in case you forgot, here, I'm going to play it for you again. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. And offers certain kinds of possibilities that have to be careful about. You know, yeah. when you began to... When you began to do that kind of gene editing, some people worry that you are changing what it means to be human. That's the problem. I, yeah. uh, I, it, uh, of course, the new uh, industrial revolution offers us many opportunities, but it raises many fold questions on the ethical, but even legal uh, implications. And we have to be prepared for it. And that's what we want to do in Davos next year. Talk about technology and how the ways it can be deployed, uh, you know, that contribute to growth rather than exacerbate unemployment. How will that implement itself? It's a big question mark because uh, there is a fear that uh, technology, robots, uh, just to take yeah. one yeah. You get productivity from machines. Exactly. And it replaces maybe um, the workforce or jobs faster than we can replace them with new jobs. Not everybody can be a robot polisher and so yes. on. So yes. there will be new jobs. It's, it's truly just beyond the pale. It's truly just something to behold. And... That's why people don't want to believe it. That's why people don't want to face it. That's why people want to call you names when you bring it up to them because it, it hurts. It hurts on the inside that, th that these are the plans for the human race's future because it doesn't sit right with people. You know, the people like Western civilization, people like freedom and being able to do what you want to do. But the way that they are ushering into this 
biomedical and ultimately transhumanist and ultimately, as I've explained to you where this all stems from, eugenicist philosophy, the people planning the future, the architects of the way the human race is going, they don't have the same future that you have in mind where everybody's just going to be free because this transhumanism stuff, it could be used to empower you, you know, it could be used as a way to enhance your life under a Western civilization type of American freedom philosophy. But the way their philosophy and the people that create these circumstances and that are ushering in these industrial revolutions, fourth industrial revolution, ushering in these resets, ushering in these building back better, they don't have the same viewpoints that you do. They want it for themselves. They don't want to empower you. They want to use it to reduce you and then control the ones that are left of you. If you're not them, if you're not a World Economic Forum, young global leader, Klaus Schwab approved person that goes along with the agenda. Are you getting it? Are you connecting those dots? I hope so, because we still got one more dot to connect before I leave you with this. And it's about how the climate crisis and people's actual legitimate concerns about the environment are being used as a shield, as a shroud, as a mask to further advance these fourth industrial revolution agendas which are ultimately transhumanist agendas that are ultimately eugenicist agendas, okay? So it's all goes hand in hand. And you might be saying, wow, Joe, like you're really going over the deep end now. The climate, how does that have anything to do with eugenics? We just want to save the earth, right? Green New Deal, Mother Earth, Earth Day, reduce the carbon footprint. All of these are buzzwords. And I'm going to tell you another pretty tough-to-believe truth, but here, make of it what you will. Why do you have such a big carbon footprint and you are hurting the environment if you drive a car, if you use coal power plants, if you use electricity, if you use gas? Why is that the worst thing in the world for the environment? Okay, But then they can openly use technologies that manipulate the weather, okay? And if you don't believe me, I'm going to play you a clip from the former CIA director, okay? This is the former CIA director at the Council of Foreign Relations, which is basically just like another sort of World Economic Forum, you know, globalist ass-kiss fest. Here's... John Brennan, the former CIA director, bragging and enthusiastically explaining the technology of what is called SAI, or stratospheric aerosol injection. Not a conspiracy theory, an actual conspiracy. Here is John Brennan with enthusiasm. Another example is the array of technologies, often referred to collectively as geoengineering that potentially could help reverse the warming effects of global climate change. 
One that has gained my personal attention is stratospheric aerosol injection, or SAI. So there it is <laughs> already. It can prevent climate change. We're going to change the world so we can prevent the world from changing. Just like we're going to hack into you so we can prevent people from hacking into you. It's all ridiculous. It's all mafia. I'm going to protect you so I don't destroy you. Let's go on. A method of seeding the stratosphere with particles that can help reflect the sun's heat in much the same way that volcanic eruptions do. An SAI program could limit global temperature increases, reducing some risks associated with higher temperatures and providing the world economy additional time to transition from fossil fuels. Okay, and like I know you've heard, obviously, about the Bill Gates initiative where he wants to dim the sun with particles in the air. So this CFR, CS, uh, CIA guy talking, this is five years ago, and here we are five years later with Bill Gates openly saying that he wants to seed the sky to dim the sun for climate change. This process is also relatively inexpensive. The National Research, Research Council estimates that a fully deployed SAI program would cost about $10 billion yearly. As promising as it may be, Moving forward on SAI would also raise a number of challenges for our government and for the international community. On the technical side, greenhouse gas emission reductions would still have to accompany SAI to address other climate change effects, such as ocean acidification, because SAI alone would not remove greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. I mean, you're talking about greenhouse gases. Dude, you're injecting chemicals into the sky. You're literally injecting chemicals into the sky. Where do you think those go? You think they just stay there? No, they're going to have to fall. And obviously, they're going to fall into the oceans. They're going to fall into the forests. They're going to fall into the where you could potentially yield crops, okay? This is... You want to talk about climate change? This is actual, as he said, geoengineering. This is geoengineering. Admitted, on record, talking about it five years ago. On the geopolitical side, the technology's potential to alter weather patterns and benefit certain regions of the world at the expense of other regions could trigger sharp opposition by some nations. Others might seize on SAI's benefits and back away from their commitment to carbon dioxide reductions. And as with other breakthrough technologies, Global norms and standards are lacking to guide the deployment and implementation of SAI and other geoengineering initiatives. Now, I could go on and on and on and on about the things that fascinate me. No, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. That's enough. That's enough from him. <sighs> Do you see? Do you see? I hope you see something there. And they all cover it under the we want to stop global warming. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Here's another thing, Okay. Here's another thing. I'm just going to give you a flavor here. I'm sure you've all heard of Ghislaine Maxwell, okay? Stick with me here. Here's Ghislaine Maxwell a few years ago at a climate change conference telling you that you need a carbon tax passport. Carbon tax passport. You already have the vaccine passport. Here's her saying that you need a carbon tax passport too. Secretary Kerry recently described the ocean as a national security threat, and Hegel, Defense Secretary, described the climate change as a disaster multiplier. 
So what can we do? I'm going to wrap up very fast here. I'd like, I'd like to suggest that maybe we should be bold and we should be, you know, on top of all the things that we know, maybe you should think of some strange things. So I'd like to propose two solutions. One is a currency, a digital currency for social good based on our joint ownership of the global commons. <laughs> so there it is. She just says it. We have to be bold. Who's we, Ghislaine? Are you going to be bold and have a carbon credit tax score passport too? No, she's just talking to you. She's saying you have to sacrifice. You have to be relegated. You have to be regulated by the carbon passport because you're destroying the world, which you're not. <sighs> so there she is years ago already spilling the beans and if she, she 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 goes to the next slide and it actually shows like a picture of the carbon passport that they had designed it's unbelievable okay so that's Ghislaine Maxwell Jeffrey Epstein's main pimp for his pedophile network that you all know saying that you need a carbon passport and here's Bill Gates okay let's connect some dots here here's Bill Gates from a week ago saying the same exact things at the World Economic Forum. Well, the rich countries uh, have to play a central role, both funding R&D and uh, having policies, in some cases, uh, carbon taxes will be used uh, to drive the demand uh, for these clean products. And only by doing that in an aggressive way will the economic costs uh, be brought down enough that we can turn to all the middle-income countries uh, and say, okay, you know, change your whole cement uh, industry, change your whole steel industry, uh, and yet, you know, it's not holding you back uh, from, uh, you know, your uh, economic growth. Oh, we need aggressive carbon taxes to stop the climate change. So there he is, Gates. He's just got his hands in everything, like I said before on the first episode. The tech... Climate change, medicine, vaccines, your food. He owns all the farmland. I mean, is there any field that this guy doesn't have his hands in, that he doesn't have influence in? Everywhere you turn, Bill Gates is an expert in it. It's just more Milgram, Milgram experiment kind of, oh, Bill Gates is in a position of authority because he's Bill Gates, I guess. So believe whatever he says about anything. But back to the, back to what he actually said about the carbon tax, what a carbon tax is, is to basically make you pay more for the things that you already think of as afterthoughts, like your electricity, like your water, like the, your gas bill, which you're already seeing with the inflation, uh, to your, the heat and air condition in your house, to, uh, the, your gas stove, to just everything, just to price you out of life, basically is what a carbon tax is, to price you out of life. And that also goes back to the Darwinist philosophy of survival of the fittest, where in this world, if you don't have a certain amount of money, then you're not perceived as being fit to survive. But you think Bill Gates is going to pay a carbon tax? Even if he had to pay a carbon tax, do you think it would affect Bill Gates because of all the money that he has? No, it's not going to affect him. He's still going to jet set. He's still going to do whatever he needs to do. And I'm not saying Bill Gates is a bad guy because he has a bunch of money. You know, that's not what I'm saying at all. 
I don't think people who are rich are bad people inherently, but you're just going to take the punishment, take it on the chin from all the carbon taxes as they inject stratospheric aerosol chemicals into the, into the atmosphere to stop global warming, all to stop global warming. Meanwhile, Al Gore was saying that the world was going to be underwater by 2012, and here we are 10 years later. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's silly, man. But it's all for you. It's all to protect you because they love you so much. Everything is for you. To stop global warming, to protect you from a virus, to stop people from hacking into your interface once you become a cyborg. It's all mafia shakedown tactics. But instead of coming at you with an intimidating attitude and a leather jacket and a switchblade, they come at you with a lab coat or a pink sweater and an injection saying that they're going to help you and they're going to save your life. So it disarms you while they're extorting you. So they present themselves as the savior all the while they're the cause of why you're in danger in the first place. It's a pretty great ruse. It's a pretty great scam. I really got to give it to them. Like you, you almost got to applaud them for how committed they are to this scam and all of their scams. Because I'm not sitting here saying that we don't affect the environment. We, there is an effect that we have on the environment for sure. But they use that legitimate gripe and they monopolize it and control it and manipulate it in order to manipulate your perceptions and make them come off as these all-knowing saviors. But you, once, you, once you see through it, though, you understand. And that's how they do it with the, with the COVID hysteria as well. There's a legitimate virus, but they embellish it and they use it for their political gain and they use it to control your perceptions and control your behavior ultimately. So that's the biggest thing they always like try to point out at you is they once you start having these conversations, these legitimate conversations, they come at you and they're like, you think climate change isn't real? You think COVID isn't real? You're crazy. I never said they weren't real. All I'm saying is that they're being used as a tool to further accelerate bigger political and global agendas that are already in motion. Now, we covered a lot in this episode, okay? A lot of robust and really deep topics. And all of them really need sort of their own dedicated time. And probably down the line, we'll do an episode about only transhumanism. We'll do an episode only about how they manipulate the climate agenda. And we'll do all these sort of dedicated episodes, but what I needed to do first was give you that sort of baseline knowledge because how can these topics even be discussed if, if somebody doesn't know about them? So with this episode, I wanted to just give that, again, baseline. We're, we're almost sort of treading the same ground that we did in the first episode but we're really expanding upon it and we're not only connecting, you know, little dots, but now we're starting to delve into what the bigger picture looks like when you start connecting those dots. So next week, uh, we're going to talk about how the children growing up today are 
more heavily targeted by these agendas and these philosophies are being more instilled into the children today than any generation before them. Because if you can get to them while they're young and if you can mold that developing mind like a piece of Play-Doh, because they don't see your children as children. They just see them as future adults. They see them as blank canvases. And what they want to do is rub their paintbrush all over that blank canvas. Because if at a young age, they're brought up with all they know is to wear masks, all they know is to worship the big pharmaceutical companies and their medicines, all they know is screens and tablets and social medias and videos and not getting outside. If, th- if that is what they grow up with, then the perfect adult can be molded in the eyes of these control-free Great Reset people. So until then, God bless. Uh, I hope you learned something. And uh, I, I hope I didn't scare you off. I know we got into some heavy stuff today, but this is the reality of the situation. And if we can't face it and we can't learn about it and we can't obtain all the facts about it, then we'll never actually be able to connect those dots.